0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Iom. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Get it automatically. It'd be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com where you can find more information about the podcast. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com com and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Today's guest is Pete Musto, currently a member of the Midnight Gardeners League, based out of Washington D.C. The Midnight Gardeners League will be performing Thought Leaders on Sunday, December eighth, at the DC Improv at 7 p.m. Pete's first sketch is called "Pray for What We Want, to Hell with What We Need." It's essentially a series of poetry reading by a couple of characters which Pete and I split as we read the sketch. It's pretty straightforward. You'll know what we're doing. So let's go to the sketch. Laundry guy, study girl, hungry guy, thirsty girl, and fucker are placed sporadically around the stage. They are only lit when speaking, and they perform their parts in whatever tone of poetry their lines suggest. All others remain in the dark. Laundry Guy is sorting a basket of clean clothes downstage left when he ponders a single sock. Where art thou, matching crew-length cotton
1: sock? Dost dost thou not long for thy parted mate? Twins, you came attached by a small plastic clip. Two dollars for a six-pack. Together, you remained snug in your respective shoes through sleepaway space camp, through gym classes uncounted. The strength of your perfectly matched elastic bands kept you united. Can the tumbling, searing force of a Maytag
0: stacked electric washer dryer combo to render you useless and alone? Study Girl sits contentedly on the edge of of a desk upstage right, staring into the beyond. Fly, free, sweet, big crystal, ballpoint, pen, and blue. You were not meant for the trappings of this cynical, uncaring world. Yes, it is said you can write for up to two kilometers in length. But who are we mortal creatures to dare to guess? What those last few bullet points or squiggles of a doodle mean to you? And so you leave us before we ever see the end approach. Hungry Guy stands next to the ca- the kitchen counter upstage left. Besides him sits Bongo Guy, who accentuates Hungry Guy's line by tapping on the drums with no concrete rhythm.
1: Plastic Tupperware Containers. <laughs> Unexplained arrival. Plastic Tupperware Containers. Of your purchase, no memory. Plastic Tupperware Containers. Miraculous asexual reproduction fills kitchen cabinetry. <coughs> Plastic Tupperware containers. <coughs> Unforeseen purpose. Piggy bank. Ashtray. Vessel for discarded buttons and paper clips. Plastic Tupperware containers. <coughs> Void of identity.
0: There's a Girl stands staring into a refrigerator up center stage until her second-to-last line when she retrieves a bottle of yo in question. At my lips a curse for all those I deem worthy. For my lover, he drank of you without need of a cup. For my confidants, who coveted you and partook of your bounty without my permit. For those whom I trust and so dwell with thinking I cannot see. For you, and every time I reach to wake you from your chilly slumber, Minute made premium 64-ounce original, made from concentrate, without pulp, you barely offer me a sip. Fucker lovingly strokes a bookshelf covered in books downstage right. Your surfaces grow dusty.
1: It is the evidence of my guilt. Their pages wrinkle and yellow with neglect. But like pictures from old vacations that I place beneath ironically sloganed magnets on the face of my refrigerator, I arrange your burdens so that the titles which will make me appear more interesting are those most prominently displayed. You are the elephant in my room, my darling IKEA faux pine bookshelf. Let one party guest cock their head and look at you inquisitively, and we will crush them with the might of everything about me that is implied. Curtain.
0: Hey Pete. Hey Josh, what's up? So, tell me about this sketch. Tell me about this idea. So, uh, (laughs) I mean, how deep do you want me to go? Because there's
1: kind of a lot of backstory to this. Um, Go for it. uh, So, back in 2011, I was an English teacher in South Korea. um, And I needed something else to occupy my time other than uh, drinking myself into oblivion, which is kind of a big part of the expat culture there. And started a, a, um, a, you know, expat theater group. Um, Okay. And we did this thing a couple of times based on um, this Chicago theater group called the um, uh, um, Neo Futurists. Uh, What they do is this thing that's called a thousand points of light, or thirty sec, thirty-one minute plays in sixty minutes. The idea being that you write thirty one-minute-long plays or scenes, um, and the the audience chooses the order that you perform them in. Oh, yeah. So we did it like three, maybe four times. Like I can't remember exactly, but um, yeah. I um I wrote a lot of them. Um, I think I, I probably wrote the bulk of a couple of the shows just cause I, I'm, you know, I was kind of the more writing intensive member of the group, but, um, yeah, so that was, that's how that got started. Uh, and that is a scene from, that, that is one of the, um, ones that we did. And like, the thing is, their whole thing is some of them can be funny. Some of them can be serious, you know, some of them can be spooky, uh, um, sure. and, so that was one of the one of the funny ones that did not completely suck. <laughs> Looking back on them, like seven, eight years later.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I have a little like knowledge of the expat culture in Korea. One of my best friends is currently teaching over there. Okay. And she's completely gotten like wrapped up into the little art scene of the expat community, like 10 minute plays and shadow productions of. Oh. Um, uh, Rocky horror picture show and like that kind of stuff. Like, uh, so why, why start with doing some theater in Korea then?
1: Uh, I have like, I don't, wouldn't say I have a theater background, but I have like theater in my history. My mom was an actress or still kind of, I guess is, um, she was, did local theater my whole life, um, growing up. And, she also, um, you know, had some extra roles in some TVs and movie stuff, a couple lines here and there. Um, so like I was always around it. My, my brother was in stage crew in high school. Um, so, you know, I kind of was always into it. Also, I went to like a theater summer camp one summer where I had to, I wrote and directed a play, but I was like nine years old at the time. So it was about a shape changing dragon. You know what I mean? It wasn't <laughs> anything to, um, <laughs> too heavy but um yeah and like what's funny about that um the sketch we read at the beginning is that you know kind of the first like real performative thing that i ever did um performance thing was so i before i moved to south korea i lived in juneau alaska um and there they have a surprisingly a big um spoken word poetry scene there
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah,
1: and that was like um that was kind of like the thing that got me to be like not just like wanting to be in front of people, but also, you know, just like sort of put something out there that was really for other people to watch or listen to or you know, not just for myself. Um you know, or, or just, you know, like not, not something that I would, like writing a short story which you want people to read, but is really just sort of a practice in writing. Um but yeah, um so the, the thing about that was, though, it made a lot of my early stuff like way more full of itself. <laughs> like, like that that piece and like a lot of the other pieces that I wrote, sketches that I wrote for that um, theater company were like just are not that funny,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> I yeah. mean, you mentioned, you know, doing thirty-one minute scenes within sixty minutes, and you know, a ver- like variety of genres and styles. How did this specific piece land at that time?
1: Uh I mean, it was eight, seven, or eight years ago. So I, I'll, I'm gonna say we went, it went awesome. <laughs> but uh, realistically, like, you know, um, yeah, maybe it was okay. I, I think expectations were low, so that's probably why. Why it um, may might have done better than it should have in
0: retrospect yeah. yeah and i always worry about like those kind of mixed genre like kind of venues like that where it's just like how like the tone is gonna shift from like you know piece to piece and it might ruin you know like the comedic element of one might like trapes into what's supposed to be dramatic in another and vice versa like so i'm always curious about like that kind of wide variety kind of show like that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, also like, what did I really have to say at that point in my life that the serious ones were, would have like really conveyed or really had, I don't know. uh, Looking over those um, like more serious sketches, I was like, wow, these are really like fake artistic and like, (laughs) (laughs) like really just like, I was a mopey piece of shit that like didn't, couldn't really get over myself basically.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like that, that uh, um, cliche of like the film school student doing like a really artistic, like visual poem that really means nothing, but he thinks it's so yeah. like provocative or ev- evocative of, you know, everything of the, of the world. Um, all right. Do you have an earliest memory of comedy?
1: Um. Yeah, I. You know, I. When I was like five or six, like I remember, I always like liked being the really, really goofy kid that just like, you know, I, I have serious ADHD, and so like my only interest in going to school was to like distract the other kids. <laughs> um, my I remember my best friend all throughout elementary school actually asked to get seated away from me in the classroom. Cause I was just fucking like doing everything I could to like distract him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing fine now though. He <laughs> He's a sound engineer for that rapper Denzel Curry. So I'd say he's succeeding pretty well despite my best efforts. Um, but yeah, I think what like, what really kind of like um, stuck in my mind was I got picked on a lot in middle school and um, I think it was like sixth or seventh grade this one kid was just like really going after me and then it was like kind of the first few minutes before class was starting so the teacher wasn't in the room and then eventually because I was also really quiet um, at that point you know I kind of got shy in middle school and um, so I just like stood up and just spent like five or six minutes um, just joning on him like you know just making fun of like his clothes like his mom and dad like anything I could think of and the entire class was just like oh 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 and it was like you know people like to think of those moments where like they stick up to their bully or where it's like you know like a physical fight or something or it was really just a moment where he was completely shut up and I had a room full of people like laughing and kind of you know just like on my side just because of what I was saying And it was awesome. It was an awesome feeling. And it, like, you know, I didn't, I never really did anything like that again until maybe like high school when I did some other like goofy stuff with some friends of mine. Um, we used to do this like striptease thing for people's birthdays. My friend would pretend he was a magician, like with a giant, um, gift box that I'm going to pop out of. And we would both do it. It was very, I don't know what what we were going for, but mainly again, people's attention. Um, but yeah, um I mean from there I I um I wouldn't really say I did much like in college I, I did have a radio show but and I did like a weird character where I talked like this the whole time. Um but it was really just more of an excuse to act like not myself.
0: But like what were you like what about even like just fandom? Like what were you into
1: Well, so I went to a um a state school in massachusetts and i'm from the dc area i, I went to this college that was i didn't realize it was a commuter school like it meant that everybody would go home on the weekends mm-hmm. because they lived they grew up like 20 to 30 minutes away from the school and me and like the five people that were from out of state were kind of stuck there with nothing to do at least as freshmen and so i just watched tons of stand-up tons got- of comedy central stand-up And I used to sit there and just be like, man, these people are so cool. So like, just, you know, I wanted to be them so hard. And I did a lot of like, my friend of mine was a musician and, and, um, he used to go to like the local college open mic and I would do like a weird skit thing before he would perform his song sometimes. You know, I never, like there was one where like, I just, I I can't remember what I, I like read something and then collapsed to the floor. And he came up and just started playing this soft folk song as I lay there on the ground for five minutes um, yeah I guess that's what I, I thought comedy was at that point in my life but um yeah I guess not much has changed really but
0: um, uh, of that era of like the county Central stand-ups who were like the the big ones that stick out to you
1: you know those the things like I'm terrible with names like I I um, there's a guy I called I went to college with for four years that I called Phil every single time I saw him until like the day before graduation he was like man my name's not fucking Phil
0: (laughs) so yeah see and then but like at the same time when it takes four years to be corrected like that's your fault yeah you're filled like (laughs) like you have a new nickname yeah
1: um but I, I remember the one that I'm thinking of that stands out right now um I believe he played the gay friend on sex in the city. Uh, Uh,
0: Mario Cantone.
1: Yeah. I I think I remember seeing his special once and I was just like, this guy is unbelievable. I mean, I haven't seen it since, so I don't know how it holds up, but it, it was really, really great. And then like, I also, you know, the Dave Chappelle show came out, uh, when I was in high school and that was like, every single morning, um, senior year, my friend and I would, um, he would give me a ride to school and we would just, just recap to each other what we liked about that week's episode and just like talk about it nonstop. And, and, um, you know, so he was pretty big for me then. Um, but I the thing, the funny thing is like after college, like I didn't really, I never really like sought out stand-up to watch it. You know what I mean? Like when I was watching it in college, it was just sort of like, I was in my dorm room with nothing to do. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. But I was never like a comedy nerd that I was like, Oh, I love this guy special. And I want to see this guy live. And then like, she's awesome. Like her album, her second and third albums are, are like underground hits, whatever. Um, it You know, it was never, never something like that. I felt like I needed to consume to enjoy it Mm -hmm. and then like I didn't like wasn't addicted to it and then after college it wasn't even watching those specials that made me say I want to do stand-up but I think it was actually a friend of mine from high school's little sister um you know she was the first person I ever met her name is Molly Martinez she was the first person I ever knew personally that did stand-up she was going out to like the DC Improv um, surround like 2008, 2009, like, you know, hitting mics and I was like blown away. She was really funny and is really funny. She doesn't, I don't think do stand up that much anymore, but, um, also in like a shitty way in the back of my mind, I was like, well, if she can do it, I can do it. (laughs) And, um, I was super wrong. (laughs) I, I moved to Portland, Oregon, um, in 2009 and I was like, all right, new city, new start. I'm gonna do stand up. Um, and the thing is like, I would write like 10 minutes of material and do it like one time, one, one, open mic in a month. And then a month later, write a whole new 10 minutes of material. And the crazy thing is that they would be, these are open mics in Portland. We're like giving people 10 minutes of time, which is fucking insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it was all like super basic shit that I was doing, like Arnold Schwarzenegger impressions, like jokes about my cat. You know, and it was it was bad. Um you know, I I was definitely like I feel like I always felt comfortable on stage, but I definitely never I I did not succeed at that time. I was not very good at it.
0: Well, like yeah, I'm always um when I first started like going to like the live stand-up stuff here in, in Philadelphia, I I was always a bit confused, and I I totally knew this was the process, but like whenever I saw the same com- the comic again and they repeated like basically that sa- that same set exactly, like it never occurred to me that like oh this is either working out the props like you know there was a part of me I was like oh I've seen this before
1: yeah yeah I mean. Like, well- also, what I didn't realize is that, like, if you want to do stand-up comedy, once a month is not enough. <laughs> like, no, it's not. You, you cannot, like, be like, I'm a comedian if you go to one open mic every, like, every month. Um, I mean, there's people who go to open mics more often than that who call themselves comedians, who I would not consider that either. But, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, it wasn't until... So I, I moved back to the States from Korea in 2013 specifically with the idea. I was like, I'm going to do standup. Like, this is my thing. This is the thing that I, out of all the other things that I've done, poetry, theater, radio, whenever I like stand up the most. Okay. And so I moved back to the DC area in 2013 and um, just started grinding. And yeah, that's kind of, how I met my sketch group, the Midnight Gardeners League.
0: What was it about standup that like you know piqued your interest way more than the other other artistic endeavors that you had previously?
1: Well, um I think that uh you know I think that you know, I was saying with that sketch we read, uh there's this like sort of not, not seriousness to it, but I, like I also said before, I'm a, I'm a really goofy person. And the thing is, you can be funny in theater, you can be funny in poetry, but there is like still a kind of element of we have a stick up our asses. Like we still have to take ourselves seriously because poetry is like, has some fucking meaning in the world or something. And yeah, and like... Is supposed to say something, or like theater is a, supposed to be a, a be about the human experience, or whatever you want to say about either of those things. But stand up is just like strictly a, you know, obviously the most successful people are the ones that have some kind of truth to speak and some personal experience that they can convey. Um, but also, it's just about being funny. It's just about like what is. Funniest, absolute funniest thing you can do, or like, how do you get to the like the core, the nut of what is funniest without any superfluous other shit? Um, and that's what I liked about this. There's, I mean, there are all, again, there are also people who take comedy way too seriously. Um, but I think like the thing that I like about it the most is like, it's the one aspect of my life where I get to be completely completely devoid of seriousness Um, because for one thing like you know I'm not uh, you know Chris Gethard or uh, Gary Goldman or um, Hannah Gatsby like I I'm not as good as and I don't know if I have necessarily a story that's like really compelling about some like deeply emotional part of my life but I know how to make people laugh at really fucking dumb ideas.
0: <laughs> uh you had mentioned that coming back to DC, doing stand-up, you had met the Midnight Gardeners that way. So tell me about the beginnings of the Midnight Gardeners League.
1: Yeah, so the Midnight Gardeners League is um myself, Max Wolfson, Andrew Hall, Kevin Titt, and Yoki Danoff. And um I guess we're going to be, be announcing it soon. We're adding in another member, Joanna Harris. Um, but the, those four guys and I met initially because uh, Max Wolfson and Kevin Titt had a podcast called what's weird um, where they, uh, you know, where they just sort of goofed off, riffed around about silly stuff and, you know, talk to local comics doing like riffs and jokes and stuff like that. And they asked me to ask me to be on it. And I had already met Kevin and Max, um, you know, out doing mics before. So I was like, yeah, awesome. And the day that I um, was supposed to do it, I was also talking to Yoki Danoff, who I actually went to high school with. And I was like, Hey man, I'm going over to do these guys' podcasts. Do you want to like sit in too?" And he's like, sure. So the four of us just start riffing, having a good time. And we're both like, wow, we're, we all kind of vibe in a similar way. Um, and, you know, we should hang out more. We should pitch ideas to each other. And then um, I feel like it was Max who kind of brought Andrew in because he's also very similar to us and they, they have probably the two most similar kind of styles of humor. So, um, you know, Max is like, well, I work really well with this group. Andrew would probably too. Um, And so the five of us just started talking about how we wanted to do stuff that wasn't necessarily stand up and also just was weirder, more non-traditional and to like do our own shows where we could basically do anything we wanted, including stand up, including sketch, including improv, like, not like avoiding one label as much as possible. So to say that the midnight gardeners league is a sketch group is technically accurate, but like, I don't know if we would really consider ourselves specifically a sketch group.
0: Yeah. It seems like it's more like just a comedy collective that uses different forms to whatever advantage those forms have.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, what's kind of the best thing about the group, I feel like is that we, you know, we're always sort of like, you might have an idea that's really dumb or um, might not make sense to other people, or, or you're afraid that like, you don't know how it works and the rest of us in the group will be like, no, 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 that sounds interesting. Or like there's at least part of that, that we can explore what if we did it this way? What if we do it this way? Or like, here's how we can make even just the idea you just threw out there a possibility. And I think we're also, none of us are afraid to just like try something, you know and like really kind of um, push the boundaries of form and like, and really, um, I don't know, Try things that somebody just doing stand up jokes at an open mic might feel like they can't do because it's not traditional stand up
0: right well then uh I'm always curious about you know the the people that straddle multiple spheres within the comedy world like how do you parse your ideas into what goes to stand up, what goes to sketch like what is your process about those decisions?
1: I guess. The, we often will just like get together um, for like Midnight Gardener stuff. We'll just get together in a room and just be like, okay, who's got ideas? Uh, we also have like a group text that's like, oh, like this uh, Um, you know, like I have this, this idea for a sketch, whatever. Next time we meet up, we should try and film it, whatever. And that's usually how the sketch ideas kind of formulate. Um, But, you know, I feel like, uh, my standup is usually the things that I come up with on my own, you know, it's because of the way we do things is so collective and in like, and collaborative that usually it's not any ideas that we're throwing out there when we're together are for the group. And if I'm, you know, by myself on the train or something, uh, you know, I'm like, Oh, I like this concept you know, let's see if I can turn this into a standup and sometimes, you know, might, one of us might come up with an idea as a joke, realize it doesn't work as a joke, but it might work as a sketch. Right. And then, you know, there's a lot of like translation there. Um, but I mean, I think it's, it's not that hard to separate ideas because I feel like ideas for a joke um, and ideas for a sketch kind of just appear in your mind pretty you know discreetly like a joke will be like well you know um old people being afraid of scooters is funny to me right (laughs) you know like i like as a joke i've been working on this sort of like everything old people are afraid of is is a good thing Uh, like they're and um you know so i Turn that. I write that out, work it out on stage and I don't really have an idea of how that would play out in a sketch but if I'm sort of... So we sort of say something like, um, you know, oh, I love horror movies. What if there was a horror movie where somebody's, you know, uh, the killer is watching a bunch of kids and the kids are telling scary stories around a a campfire and one of them tells a story that's so bad that the killer like comes out of the bushes and is like, you know what, you you thrown me off this whole thing. I was gonna murder all you guys, but that you were the worst story teller ever. I'm out of here. And um, we filmed that as a, uh, that idea as a sketch recently. We gotta like edit it still, but um, you know, it's just sort of more like I feel like jokes are about a specific idea, where sketches are more about a given situation, maybe.
0: Uh, part of the the branding of the Midnight Gunners League is that it has like the secret society feel to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you explain where that comes from and why you go that direction?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, we were initially trying to come up specifically with what our thing was. You know, we were just sort of like, okay, we can't just if we're just a sketch group, then we're just like any other sketch group. You know, if, if we're just a, um, even if we're just like just a comedy collective, like five guys hanging out in a basement coming up with ideas, that's sort of not good enough, you know, in terms of like what sets us apart. So we were like, well, what if we have this like overarching idea and we threw out this, I, like I, various like umbrella concepts, like I think we, at one point, we a cult and another point we were maybe like a evil corporation or something like that. Um, we were, you know, coming up with ideas to sort of be like, all right, all the, we have all these discrete individual ideas, but at our core, we are this, um, shadowy cabal of, you know, Illuminati, Illuminati style people also, cause just like the Illuminati is fucking funny. Like the concept of, of, you know, Beyonce and Oprah, like secretly running the world. Um, and they are also like lizard people is hilarious to, <laughs> to I think all of us. So there's something about that where, and I think we sort of added this layer recently is that we are the comedy arm of the Illuminati. And um, we're like the du- we're the dumbest guys in the Illuminati, you know? Um, Cause I think that's another thing about all of our stuff is like, we Im- i don't think any of our stuff is really like high mind- high minded or like you know particularly like the craft of joke making it's like man this idea is so dumb it's hilarious and right. you know we we just embrace our own stupidity i guess <laughs> um i know those might seem kind of like two disparate ideas but the yeah the, the secret society thing is just kind of a fun way of doing it because we also all like you know like we like like i said horror movies and sci-fi shit and uh you know uh like conspiracy theory like making fun of conspiracy theories not embracing con- conspiracy theories um and just like all kinds of i think we had this at one point we're talking about trying to um start a kickstarter to get us sent to the flat earth convention <laughs> um which may still happen so keep your keep, stay tuned for that um <laughs> where
0: is a flat earth convention
1: Uh I think the first time I, we had this idea when we were looking at it, it was in Colorado in Denver um and the best part about it is like they will let fucking anybody get a booth so all <laughs> you got to do is pay a fee and it can be about anything really like cuz it's just like nut job con you know like 2019 or whatever it, it, it they clearly if they start turning people away then they have to turn that critical eye on themselves and be like well how crazy is this guy you know and how yeah, crazy the, am i
0: the weirdos will take money from anywhere oh like. yeah
1: i mean i'm sure not many of them are fully employed so.
0: <laughs> uh where does the, i'm always curious um about comedy names cuz i think some of them are so poor or, like, you know, super jokey? So, like, where does the Midnight Gardeners League come from? Like, do you remember, like, that naming process?
1: Yeah. Um, We were originally called the Ex-Wives Club. Um, okay. And for various reasons, we were just like, eh, we don't like that name. Um, and also, it's a little bit more, it doesn't convey as much, I feel like, the kind of ominous overtone we're trying to play with. So, right. So... We just sort of like, all right, so what are some ideas, um, you know, we, we liked the kind of f- uh, uh, syllable phrasing of ex-wives club, kind of, you know, three words or, you know, sort of kind of simple, but um, I know obviously Midnight Gardeners League has a lot of syllables in it, but it's kind of three beats. And so we were like, what about this, this, this? What about this, this, this? You know, um, what's the kind of a creepy, what is it, what is a creepy Illuminati style organization kind of call itself? And then I, I, I remember I was in San Diego for work, just like sitting in a hotel room, texting with the guys. And I was like, what about the midnight gardeners? Those two words sounded really cool. Um, and then we looked it up like see if anybody had that name already or whatever. And when we looked it up, we found out that midnight gardening means doomsday prepping. And we were like, Oh shit. Like, yes, let's definitely use this name. And um, I guess we just kind of added league at the end. Cause it, I don't know, sounded more like a, an organization.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, the first thing I saw when I first heard of you, you guys was like, that movie, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, like, oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: which is still like, you know, a very ominous title for what that movie yeah. is. So,
1: I mean, I like, you know, I have a, my best friend in the whole world loves to give me shit all the time about my comedy stuff, and you know, um, he's a, you know, he's a, he's got a very good critical eye, but he's a very harsh critic, and uh, <laughs> and he he's like, I like your old name better, like, you know, X Wives Club sounded funnier, Midnight Gardeners Club, the. Uh, is a funny name. And I was like, well, that's the thing. It's like, it's not trying to sound funny. It's trying to sound creepy. You know, midnight gardeners, like sounds creepy.
0: Yeah. That's the point. Like we, we made this change for a reason. Yeah. Um, I've been curious recently, uh, for people that have been doing comedy for a while. And I'm kind of stealing this question from another podcast. Uh, do you have a sketch that you still love that didn't work on stage?
1: It didn't work on stage. Um, okay, so you know we we do um, now a sort of every other month um, variety show at the DC Improv, which I say variety because like I said it's sketch, stand up, whatever, um, and kind of the way that we were able to you know the DC Improv is like probably the best club in DC and way we were kind of able to get into the door is they have this uh sort of buy or tri-monthly open mic for anything like any you can be sketch, sketch stand-up or improv but they give you a specific theme um and you know there's like prize money for whoever gets the most laughs but we did it like a couple of times and we always kind of um we always either fin- you know, got into the finals of, of the favorite of the night or, or you know, at one time we won. But um, there was a sketch that we did for that um, that was myself and Max and two people who are not officially members of our group, but we work with them a lot. We had them on our most recent show. It's uh, Jamie Benedy and Nicole Walkow, who are two... Hilarious stand-up comedians in the D.C. area, um, to the best, really. And the theme was health, and we did a sketch about like I think it was I'm trying to remember now. It wasn't even that long ago, but it was something about some kind of medicine that that um, Jamie and Nicole were, were testing on Max and I, and it made us shit fish and we had like these like toy foam rubber fish that we were pulling out of our asses, like out of our pants. And it seemed really, really funny when we were writing it and practicing it. And I think it even did get a laugh, but I think it's, it was just so weird that the audience was like, this is a little bit too much. Um, Right. Like the prop fish coming out of your asshole. Pale and you know we were hoping something for a little bit more like a little bit broader so um i mean that's kind of the, the dangerous thing about what we do in terms of like throwing anything out there and just seeing what, what works and doesn't is that sometimes you fucking bomb hard like an idea is only funny to you um to, you know to four people smoking weed in a basement and not to an audience full of people
0: well i think that actually like that might be a sketch that doesn't work in that kind of like one-off situation. Like, you know, doing that, that open mic kind of thing at DC improv, but putting it within the context of, of a fuller show of your own voice. Yeah. Probably. Could stand to be revisited and and worked again.
1: I mean, that's what we're something we're learning now. So what we've done when we first started doing shows, they were truly a variety show where it was just like a bunch of random stuff thrown together And over time, we realized, like, things need to be more coherent and more um, tied together. So, what we try to do now, or been trying to do for over a year now, is do shows about 90 minutes long that are, like that improv open mic, are based around a single theme. Um, Like, um, for example, the one we just did was A Night of Fine Dining, um, where... Each, each act is laid out like a course and a dinner. And the storyline, there's always a storyline in these shows now, too. The storyline was I was a disgraced celebrity chef. And like I was hosting a pop-up restaurant at the DC Improv. as my one last shot at Glory, basically. And I had all these people like um, Max played a, a luxury water salesman. Um, uh, Andrew played a, a, a celebrity dietician. You know, and they like, they're all individual bits that work on their own, but they kind of like relate to the theme. And there's also like bits that are story bits, moving the story forward. Um, And something we're doing now also is realizing that characters that we use in one, um, you know, situation can recur in other uh, storylines, other shows, other, even other themes, um, as long as they're kind of like tangentially related or advanced, advanced the plot in some way or something. Um, or, or, just in general, like you said, you saw us at the sketch fest, right? Yeah. Um, that, so that, um, science mad scientist thing where I play a mad scientist and Max is a robot politician. You know, that was something we, um, you know, we hadn't we had not done in probably a year and a half, two years, but we we're like, well, let's throw that in, and and that Shark Tank bit that we closed with was actually the theme of an entire show, uh, okay. rather, than, rather than like a six minute bit. And also, the character that um, Andrew was playing was his dietitian from the restaurant show. And the ca- the character that Yoki was playing was um, the uh, his character from this. We had a the first show we did at the Improv was the Soft Rock Hall of Fame was inducting um, this IBS this uh, yacht rock band. So Yoki was reusing his character from that. So it's just fun to kind of repurpose stuff in different situations and reconfigure things. Because also Anytime, like like with a sketch, even with an individual character, anytime you're reusing it, you're sharpening it and getting it better and, you know, finding new things you can do
0: with it. Okay, so l- knowing that those characters in those sketches that I saw at NYC Sketch Fest came from fuller pieces, now I'm curious. Okay, so you say most of your bi-monthly shows are, you know, theme-based and, you know, have a consistent story. So when you do a festival show like NYC sketch fest or, you know, whatever other where you're kind of creating like a best of, um, a best of, of your material, do you worry about some of that stuff getting lost in translation then?
1: In a way. Yeah. Cause it's a little untested sometimes like that, you know, like I said, we had done the Shark tank thing, but we had not condensed it down to five minutes. And, you know, um, Andrew and Yoki's characters were from other situations, but they had not been in that situation. So, you know, we, we don't know exactly how it's going to go, but I feel like we have a lot of trust and a lot of faith in each other that like, you know, we can carry things or sometimes we can just riff, riff things out, um, on, in the moment. I feel like that's something that like up teaches you more than sketch, obviously improv is the best way of doing that, learning that skill, but like stand up also, you know, sometimes the moment a joke is bailing. You got to learn how to steer the ship in another direction, but also like, you know, we still have um, sketches that we come up with um, that are standalone pieces, you know, like especially, especially for that things like that DC improv open mic. We do a lot of video content that's like unrelated to, Um, any particular show. Um, And sometimes we may even take a video uh, sketch and do it live, you know? Sure. Um, So I feel like we have enough to kind of, that was definitely the, actually, no, that wasn't the first. It was the second time we had done like a, a best of uh, type of showcase. We also did the uh, laugh index theaters festival in DC this year, but (laughs) The best thing about that show was the only person in the audience was my my wife. So, oh no, <laughs>
0: That's yeah, was so, a bummer.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were not, you know, obviously New York Sketch Fest. I, I don't know how the two compare, but we felt like it was a bigger deal. So we like felt a little more comfortable about the fact that there would probably be people there. Um, so you know, I mean it definitely and plus we since we had had already done one of these types of things under our belt, it felt like we knew what we were doing like we weren't going to be like oh god like this is the total opposite of what we normally do
0: um you mentioned like being able to riff have, have you done any improv training like in any of those like comedy theater education situations
1: i have read the ucb uh um you know improv manual okay. <laughs> and i have read dill close's uh book truth and comedy those are it's pretty much the only improv like training no that's that that's
0: that's fine that truth and comedy book's been on my amazon wish list for like 10 years and i just never have do have uh i've never dived into yeah go for it I yet. Mean,
1: i really uh i read an article a new york times article about him like right after he died, mm-hmm. um, I think this was back in, I think it was like 2011 or 12 or something that when he died, um, and I might be wrong about that, I, but I, I basically re- read an article about him in the New York Times um, back in like 2011 or 12, and you know, it, it was just such an he was such an interesting guy that even though at that point I wasn't doing stand up or improv, you know, I was like, oh, let me check this book out um just for you know interest's sake and I really liked it it was cool um but yeah I mean I I don't know it's kind of hard to say is improv like improv is a skill you can practice I feel like but I don't know how well is it something you can teach to someone that's why I kind of feel a little reticent to take a class because um I'm just sort of like I actually had someone once come at a stand-up show be like hey you're funny like if you ever want to learn more improv skills I teach a class and to be honest in my head I was like who the fuck are you man (laughs) I've, I've never heard of you why would I take a class from you like you know I'm practicing my skills in the way that I want to but not to say that nobody should ever take an improv class but I was just sort of like you know like being funny in the moment is something you learn by they're definitely like exercises and tools and and people who are good at improv I have a lot of respect for but I do feel a little weird about paying paying somebody to like teach me a skill that I feel like anybody can learn in any you know just by doing it. The, some of the best stand-ups that I know in DC are guys and girls who got their start in improv. You know, there's um, Josh Kadurna, um and Pete Bergen are both like really, really funny. And I know Josh did uh, improv for several years before um, he ever did stand up. And I, I don't know what kind of training he went through, but I, I assume that like if you're interested in it, the best way to get started in improv is to take a class. But for stand up the best way to get started is to just go find get on stage. It. Yes. Just go do it. And, um, you know, just keep doing it. And so that's kind of the way I feel about like being funny. Like I, I spend most of my time now, I don't go to open mics anymore. As, not anymore. Sorry. I, I, I don't go to open mics as much anymore because I'm like, well, I can spend time in a basement with five stranger or like three strangers and five, stand-up comics that I either either don't really like or barely can hold a conversation with. Or I can spend time around my friends, like, really tossing around bits and being like, hey, what do you guys think about this joke? What do you think about this? Yeah. And then when I want to test it out, you know, go out and test it out um, in front of an audience. But, I, you know, I, I just feel like it's really just being around, being in an environment where you can just toss stuff out and get feedback and just go just grind and go. And I mean, also live your life because if you, the only thing you do is stand up, I feel sorry for you in a lot of ways. Um, You're not living your life a, and you're not getting material. You're just doing stand up. Um, But I just feel like, yeah, going to a class, it's a lot (laughs) of that shit. It seems like a scam, man. It seems like a fucking scam.
0: Yeah, like I totally understand um, s- certain of the pros of doing like the comedy education stuff. Like, I you mm-hmm. know, if someone offered me to, to teach a sketch writing class, I, I would you know do it in a heartbeat. But oh like, my god,
1: I would absolutely do it
0: <laughs> I, like, um, but like, and you know, improv is such a team game that you have to like you know meet people and learn that like interpersonal interpersonal ability of you know that form.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where I think a sketch comedy. Class, like the best thing for it, the best reason to take it is because it gives you deadlines. Like, yeah,
1: mm, especially
0: especially as a deadline driven person. Like,
1: yeah, no, and I also, like, I really enjoyed when I was in college. I took a couple creative writing courses, and what was really great, a deadlines, like you said, but also B is that, like, my teacher, um, at in college in my creative writing classes whose name is escaping me right now. Again, I suck fucking suck at names, but, um, he did this, he would have this thing where I don't know how many other people do this, but you know, you, each week one student would, would submit their story. Everybody would read it. And the following week we'd all sit around in a circle and the author was not allowed to speak. And only the other people in the class were allowed to talk about their story. The author was not allowed to defend their work, not allowed to like, be like, well, you guys didn't get this part or like, what i meant was this
0: like right kind of right
1: feedback is so good especially for sketch writing i feel like
0: yeah if you're saying what i meant to do was this then you didn't do it well yeah like so yeah i totally i totally see that for sure like because that's one of my biggest problems of you know writing my own sketch comedy is like how i see something in my head doesn't always translate to on paper or on the stage like and that's always my achilles heel
1: yeah. Um, I also feel like, you know, um, you know, my wife is like a great resource for me because, and you know, she's a person who sees a lot of my work, but she's not in, directly involved in it. So like, especially when we do these like theme shows, a lot of the times they get more complex than they need to be. Or like the narrative thread is not as clear as we think it is. Cause we're the ones coming up with the idea. And so after a show, I'll be like, what do you think? And she's like, well, you know, this part didn't make as much sense as you guys might've thought it did. And, um, you know, that's really helpful to get somebody. She, she has a vested interest in me, in me doing well, but she also has no personal connection to the work. So she, she doesn't feel bad about like being like, this did not work. This was not clear. This was confusing. And, um, because especially even like sometimes with the guys, like, you know, uh, like I can feel like sometimes one of us or all of us might be hesitant to say like, yeah, that idea is not the best to the entire group. Like we might say to each other, like, well, I don't know if that idea worked, but like sometimes you guys, you know, we want to be so supportive that we're just like, you know, yeah, okay, keep, keep going, do it, you know, whatever. Or like, oh, we did great. We did great. But uh, to be fair to us, though, we also, at, after every show, try to meet up and be like, okay, everybody, what worked? What did not work? And we are also, like, some of our harsh, own harshest critics. Like, I know I beat myself up after every, like, <laughs> after every fucking, like, open mic set, I beat myself up. But, so, um, yeah.
0: I ask everybody, we didn't touch on it really earlier, but, like, since Saturday out Live is, like, such a juggernaut, in the history of American comedy, do you have a favorite SNL cast member?
1: I mean, I don't want to sound cliche, but, um, I did in college. I had both of Will Ferrell's best of DVDs.
0: Oh, everyone had them. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. And so that was pretty, he was pretty big for me. I know that's kind of an easy target.
0: Uh, so, um, I always ask, uh, since this is, you know, kind of like a sketch writing podcast, uh, what's something that you've learned from doing comedy that you would pass on to a new writer?
1: I'll give you one obvious obvious one is that um, as much as it sucks, learn to edit, learn to like, um, you know, go back and revise. I hate, hate, hate doing it, but um, and I also can get defensive when I'm working with other people and they're like, Oh, I want to change this. i want to mm-hmm. change that. It's like, well, no, that idea was fucking great. Why would you want to change that? Um, you know, but also like, I understand like in a colla especially in a collaborative environment, you know, these people are not out here to stab you in the back. They're here to make this the best thing it can possibly be. So, um, yeah, I mean that, but also I guess, um, don't be worried about the, like what, other people are doing or what you think you're supposed to do in terms of sketch like in terms of like you know is like are other sketch comedians going to find this funny or other comedians going to find this funny i i would say never base anything you do in comedy about hoping to get the acceptance of your peers cuz like one thing i've learned from particularly stand up comedy is that like they are petty selfish dickheads a lot of them (laughs) some of them are good people but like you could have the best shit in the world and many of them will be like those okay like I'm better than that so don't hurt
0: yeah there's there's so many people that see that your success as like an indictment against them and you know that opens up bitterness and all that hostility for sure
1: (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people say this you know write the kind of stuff you want to write you want to see um But also, you know, just like, don't be, I've said this on a couple of podcasts before, but like, don't be afraid to like experiment, you know? And when when I say like push boundaries, I'm not talking about some like Shane Gillis, like, you know, get up there and start talking in racist voices or some shit. I mean, push boundaries in terms of like, if somebody else isn't doing it, it doesn't mean that's because it's a bad idea. You know what I mean? Like in terms of format, in terms of like, if you want right. to do a, a a sketch that's like where you are a character in a video game, like if that might seem silly and goofy, but like um, you know, it's if it's what you find funny, then it's going to be better than you trying to like imitate something you saw on SNL or something you know, you know, you see in like what you expect other people to, to find funny. I mean, I like I'm, I'm a big advocate of take risks and, you know, maybe seven out of 10 times you won't, you won't succeed. But like those three times will most likely be like home runs because somebody will be like, Oh, I never thought of that. Or like, Oh man, I couldn't do that. I, I've had a handful yeah. of times in my comedy career so far where somebody's like, Oh, I could never do that. And I'm like, yeah, that's cause I did it, motherfucker. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> you know, I mean like, and not in, ag- in an aggressive way. I just mean like, you know, you'll find what you're good at. Even if you don't feel like you have like some innovative or like unique story to tell, there's still, you're still you, you're still an individual who has their own way of looking at things and their own way of, what they find funny and you know generally once you start doing that kind of shit you'll have more success
0: and then finally i mean we touched on it a little bit when we were talking about doing stand-up and when you move back to dc but why comedy why is comedy taking up so much of your life at this point
1: i mean like i said you know I've, i've always been a really goofy person um i mean silliness is like huge not like like one of my all time favorite comedy movies uh, is Naked Gun because the jokes per minute in that movie are like unmatched in so many other comedies. And like when you take like a movie and I'm not even trying to shit on this movie, but like something about Mary or actually I'll take a movie that I can shit on, Um, you know, like Wedding Crashers or or The Hangover, like – those movies are you know they're funny in in ways they, like they have funny moments but like like for example in like uh wedding crashers for example like there's a part where like they get away from just telling jokes and they go into a plot and you know what i mean and like mm-hmm. i do like stuff with plot i love like science fiction with like complex plots stuff like that but like usually that's not what makes comedy the best thing. Usually it's just like be fucking silly as hell. You know what I mean? At least for me. Like The Big Lebowski is like a very sort of, it's it's a good example of the opposite where it's not, not necessarily like the goofiest movie. It's got this like noir element and it's very dry and kind of slow burning. But I fucking love that movie. But what I particularly am good at and what I find interesting trying to do is just be silly. I'm just trying to jump out of a giant cardboard box, dress like, like that's designed like a Christmas present, and like take my clothes off, and <laughs> you know make <laughs> make my classmates laugh at me because you know that's that's me. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Pete. Well, yeah. Thanks, Josh. I really appreciate it, man.
0: He and the rest of the Midnight Gardeners League will be performing Thought Leaders at the DC Improv on Sunday, December 8th at 7 p.m. Find more information at midnightgardenersleague.com. You can follow them on Instagram at Midnight Gardeners. Their Twitter handle is 12amgardeners. And on Facebook, it's Midnight Gardeners League. My first sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com which is getting updated and cleaned up. Go head over. In the next couple weeks, we'll be dropping some hints. Follow Philly Sketch Fest on Instagram at Philly Sketch Fest. The music on this episode is by the band No-No, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. And go see some comedy.